Welcome to the D&D Roundtable, your premier source for D&D news. We cover everything D&D from Wizards of the Coast. We cover updates from the convention circuit. We cover new and exciting products, casts and streams, and events for D&D. We cover happenings in organized play. If it's D&D related, we cover it here. Industrious Ferret is by Kevin McLeod at Incomptech.com, licensed under Creative Commons by Attribution 3.0. Hey, we'd really appreciate it if you dropped us a review on iTunes or wherever you get your podcast. Thanks. Welcome to the Roundtable. Paige and I are excited to be back after what's uh, been a pretty long hiatus, and today we have two lovely guests on the show and we're actually going to talk a little bit changing gears here about the behind the scenes work in the tabletop role-playing game scene so we have um, a fantastic editor with us and a fantastic layout artist and we're going to chat a little bit with them about what they do why it's important and uh, who they are so um, i'm going to introduce them to you and we'll get started with our get to know you question so we will start with josh um, why don't you tell everyone who you are and then tell them what your favorite setting is and why. Uh, well, my name is Joshua. I'm known as H. Paladin Online. Um, I'm a graphic designer and artist. And uh, I'm, gonna re- I'm gonna repeating what someone else I'm gonna say in just a moment, but my favorite published setting is Eberron. I, I do have a feeling it's gonna be a repeat. Solid choice. <laughs> All right, uh, Laura, how about you? Jenny knows me well that my favorite setting is indeed Eberron. Um, I would be failing if I didn't say that. Um, as far as why, um, honestly, it was the first It was the first setting I fell in love with outside of Greyhawk <laughs> once upon a time. When I was switching over to 5e, um, the Eberron UA had just come out, and I was like, changelings are the coolest thing ever. And it was all downhill from there. So now I'm hooked. I mean... That's a you know pretty good reason. Paige, what's your favorite setting though? Okay, so it's not in 5e yet, officially. Yet. But I liked the Gothic Earth Mask of the Red Death setting best for the D&D adjacent settings. I, you know, that's a pretty good one. Kinda... Deep cut. Deep cut. What, what about you, Jenny? What's what's the setting that really lights your heart up? If we're talking published settings that are 5e, which is what I play mostly, I'm going to have to go with Eberron as well. Um, but, you know, if we want to just go back and, like, all the D&D settings or whatever, um, I, I have and have always had a soft spot for Dragonlance. It's what I grew up with, the books, no, you know? Okay. It's just that feeling of fantasy and just a romance-driven setting as well, and that's just kind of my jam. <laughs> All right. Um, well, we'll just kind of dive into our questions then. Um, so I want to know a little bit about what you do in the world of tabletop RPGs. Laura, do you want to start us out? 
Yeah, not only what what do you do, but how does it relate to everything? Why is it cool and interesting? Why do you enjoy doing what you do? That's a good question. Well, I am, I'm Laura Hurstbrunner. I am a freelance editor and occasional designer, writer, layout designer, artist, person of many hats. Um, but really my love is copy editing and being able to take other people's grand ideas and the, the creativity that they have and really help with the details to bring it all together. So people oftentimes ask, you know, hey, will you write on this project for me or something? And really, I mean, I can write, but that's not what I love doing. I love being able to help link people with the resources they need to make their vision reality. Um, so along with the editing side of things, a lot of the time that includes throwing my layout hat on as well. Um, I think the two jobs are actually really fun to do side by side because I can take a document from random first draft text all the way to being completely ready to publish. And it's really fun seeing that process come together. And you actually made a template that you've got up on the DM skill that made layout a breeze for people who don't know what they're doing, right? I did. While I don't usually use Microsoft Word for layout, um, I had a a template that I used when I was doing copy editing to prepare the document in Word to go into InDesign for official layout with a layout designer. But in the process, I realized there were a lot of people in DMs Guild that were stumbling along just trying to do their own formatting in Word or GM Binder or, and these are really great programs that can work well. Um, but I kind of tidied up my own personal Word template and I made it look prettier and I published it expecting, you know, maybe 50, 100 people might download it. And I'm somewhere well, well above a thousand sales by now. And it's completely blown me away. So if anybody likes doing 5e style layouts, um, I have a template and it's cool, apparently. I mean, I think it's pretty cool. Uh, Joshua, then, how about you? What do you do and how does it tie in? Uh, well, overall, I lose a lot of sleep, but professionally, I do a lot of layout and graphic design for people around the TTRPG sphere. Uh, primarily, I'm the graphic designer for the Islands of Sina Una. Uh, I'm doing some graphic design work for uh, Hitpoint Press currently, uh, Swordsfall, and various creators on the DMs Guild. Ooh, and your, and your work is gorgeous, that. I just want to say. Well, thank you. Um, it's... Uh, I get a little obsessive, possessive over what I make because I'm very adamant in making it for a good first impression. I mean, I well, don't... I mean, that, that, that's nothing to be ashamed of. Uh, yeah, no, personally, I've been pretty impressed by everything I've seen from you. You've got a very distinctive style, I think is what I would go with there. It's different. Well, thank you. No, I like it. Um... <laughs> I don't know why I made that sound. I thought that was weird. Well, one of the things that people are always interested in is how did you get to be where you are? Like one day you're in high school, you're like, I think maybe I'm going to go to college or maybe I'll work. And then now it's now you're working in the RPG industry uh, with a certain amount of fame and fortune. How did you get between these two places? Maybe the fame. I wouldn't say the fortune necessarily. Correct. <laughs> no, the, the way you make a, a large fortune in, or a small fortune in role-playing games is to start with a large fortune. But at least fame. Okay. Um, Joshua, do you want to go first on this one? Yeah, sure. Um, 
So I never actually intended to be where I am right now. <laughs> I think a lot of us can say that. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I mean, I graduated high school and I went to California to pursue an acting career because uh, my background is actually in performance arts. The graphic design thing has only been uh, a little under two years now. That's actually pretty impressive then. Thank you. Uh, so how did you first get into it? Like, what was the first thing you did? Where did you get the job from? Um, I mean, I, I spent like half a year self-teaching myself, and then I started doing some uh, custom numbers for Searsword. Uh, from there, what do, you, turned... what do you mean custom numbers? For dice. Oh, gotcha. Okay. Yeah, there's a dice maker on, on Twitter named Searsword, and if you look at the dice she makes, uh, the fancy numbers she has, uh, those are mine that I made for her. So that you is, just designed numbers. That's really cool. That is Thank cool. You. It's not something I would have ever thought to do, but I mean, somebody has to make those amazing designs, I guess. Well, thank you. <laughs> See, this is the kind of stuff nobody thinks about, but it's super important. Yeah. It's also like the, the dice community tends to be very vicious, and so having distinct numbers helps dis distinguish your work. Right. It's not like you can just, you know, download a font and put that on there. You have to you end up having to pay a lot for that font to use it in a commercial application. So you might yeah. as well have your own unique numbers. Oh yeah. Uh, but from there I started doing uh, design work for the Antasina Una and looking back on the stuff I was first doing makes me dry heave because it's just awful. <laughs> back up a step though and tell our fans more about Sina Una. So they know, so they know what that means. Oh, sure. Uh, the Islands of Sina Una is a 5e compatible uh, supplement based off of pre-colonial Philippine mythology and culture. Uh, everybody on the team is part Filipino or full Filipino. We've been working for the past uh, year and a half, very solidly working on making this thing happen. Um, we're hoping to release in the next few weeks here, depending on how fast edit editing can go and the last few bits of playtesting, but... Uh, it's got monsters, a whole world, a uh, whole deity system, uh, subclasses, subraces, magic items, spells, the whole shebang. And from what I've seen of it, I'm very excited to get my grubby little paws on it. Super excited. Thank you. Uh, so, Laura, then, like, how did you kind of break into this? Was this something that you always wanted to do, or did you stumble on it just like Joshua? Completely by accident, entirely. Um, if you had told me even just two years ago, I would be doing this, I would have laughed at you. Um, but I have a master's in social work and the majority of my professional experience is working in um, K through 12 and higher education, doing like academic administration, advising, that kind of thing. But along the way in all of my jobs, I always had a heavy emphasis on technical writing, policy writing, procedures, writing, training materials, everything like that. Um, so while my job title was never officially copy editor or copywriter, that was always a large portion of what I was doing professionally. So when I had my first kid six years ago, um, I transitioned from working in the office to doing freelance work. I kept several of my um, education clients and transitioned more to doing consulting and editing and writing work for them. So I had been doing something involving language most of my life, but it was never really in a formal capacity like this to where I would say, you know, I am a copy editor. So just a couple years ago, I was playing Eberron and I had DM'd an adventure um, that Keith Baker had written in Dragon Magazine back in 3.5 at some point in time, um, an adventure Fallen Angel. And I converted it to 5e and I ran it for my players. And then I was like, you know, I should type this up and put it on the DM's guild because that seems like a good idea. 
And kind of from there, I accidentally fell into the DMs Guild community. And then I kind of fell into the Eberron creator community. And then I accidentally fell into working with Keith Baker on his hardcover. So it was all very much by accident. <laughs> I mean, those are some, uh, you know, really impressive accidental falls there, though. I it's know. It's been fun all the way. People, if I see something that's fun, I'm like, sure, I'll try that. And then one thing leads to another. And next thing you know, you're like, holy moly, how did I get here? Yeah, I'm pretty sure that's like how we all feel like never plan for any of this to happen. But like once you get in the creator community, there's just like so much passion and so much support. And everyone's like, yeah, make stuff. Everyone's really nice. It's great. I love it. Yeah, I mean, you get some reviewers every now and again who got a bug up their butt, but you know, whatever. <laughs> <laughs> Bad reviews are just just a lesson waiting to be endured. I mean, if it's good, people don't leave reviews. They only leave reviews when they hate things. Yes, you yes. can go to Amazon and find that out. You never, you never want to talk to the manager to tell uh, tell her what excellent service you had. I, mean, I was. Go ahead. I was at uh, Gamehole Con last year when those things still happened, and <laughs> I went to this uh, talk about like how to really make a living off of RPG work. I had Ashley Warren, which let's go flirt a couple of other people. And there was one guy there who I wish I remember his name, but he's been in the industry for for decades. He was talking about how uh, he released a book on Amazon and he got a one-star review. And he was like, oh, oh God, what did I do wrong? Did I, did I offend someone? Did I hurt someone? Like, what did I do wrong? And they opened up the review. Box was damaged. One star. <laughs> oh my God. I wish I remember who that was too, because I saw that on Twitter. Oh, that was, I, I found that so, such a funny story because I'm like, that has nothing to do with the product. Oh, yeah. Um, but whenever I see someone being salty, I think back to one star, box was damaged. Yeah. I mean, yeah. I mean, I, I have definitely had um, more than my fair share of salty comments. Um, if you want to have a little bit of hatred for the world, go read the reviews on DDAL84. Um, I did one day. I don't recommend it. No, I mean, I, I see the people talking not. about the wheelchair. That's kind of enough for me at this point. Oh, my God. Yes, that, <sighs> that has been. <laughs> the sigh, the sigh. So for those of you who are bliss, blissfully unaware of this, uh, uh, people who are in wheelchairs. Uh, exist. Exist and are useful, wonderful, perfectly normal folks. And, and they someone... even play RPGs. Absolutely, absolutely. So D and D, and someone made the stats for a combat wheelchair, uh, and then uh, a bunch of minis came out for it. Were the minis next? Yeah, there was the there was the uh, document released, and then there were minis made for it, and then um, she's been asked to do a similar thing for a bunch of different. Uh, game systems and stuff and then people on twitter just piled on to her about how wheelchairs in dungeons aren't realistic as if there's no magic in fantasy worlds like if you're playing an elf that casts spells to fight gelatinous cubes why is realism part of your vocabulary <laughs> like just go with it man <laughs> Oh no no! I, I think the, the the highlight the highlight reel of it is, of uh, all the doors gonna be wide enough. 
How are you going to handle stairs? Patrick! Magic! Magic! Doesn't matter! Magic! People enjoy finding things to complain about on everything. It's true. It's true. And they're trapped at home and they don't have a lot to do. So being salty on Twitter is, is an option. So... My favorite one-star review, I think it was one, it was a critical review on um, one of the adventures that I edited for the Across Eberron Adventure Path. On the very first adventure, somebody complained that their players couldn't murder Hobo their way through. Not in so many words, but basically their complaint was that the adventure expected some level of heroicism and that it wasn't a good adventure for for murder Hobos. And so we took that as high praise and (laughs) one of our favorite reviews to this day. Paige, I think you've had some similar reviews on yours. There's too much social justice in this one. You know, also, like, fuck those people, right? Uh, Let's see. Um, Most of my one-star reviews have been for people, from people that got moderated in the 5E group and then... um, and then got angry, so paid me money to buy one of my adventures, and then um, and and then downvoted it. I'm so sorry. No, if they're going to pay me money in order to <laughs> downvote my adventure, well, good luck, God bless, and I'll I'm laughing all the way to the bank. Uh, I did get one on the Black Road that was pretty funny. Let me see if I can find it. Goodness. Well, while Paige looks and finds that, we'll circle back around and kind of talk a bit more about this. Um, so, you know, being kind of immersed in this, like from your experience, what are like the most common mistakes that you see creators making day in and day out that are easy to avoid? And what would you recommend that they do in order to make documents that are easier for you? to deal with easier for their editors and layouts. And so we all love one another. Honestly, the biggest thing is lack of collaboration. Not that solo projects can't be good and fun and awesome, but I know that for myself and for basically everyone that I know, we always are so much better at what we're doing and at what we're writing when we have people alongside us just to bounce ideas off of each other and brainstorm, Um, which is when I, thing I really love about the DM skilled community is that people are willing to come along together and work on things together. Um, so if I, if I get a document that's been written by one person, it will almost always take me twice as much work to edit as if there were at least two or three people collaborating together, just because they polish up so many of the ideas that would fall into developmental editing in a way, but they, they just get it so much farther along and it makes so much more sense and it's clearer to the reader because more than one person's eyes have already been on it. So that would be like the single big thing is find a friend to work with. They don't have to, you know, write as much as you do, but find somebody else to partner with. I mean, they don't even have to write at all. If you've got a friend who's willing to just do like, not even an editing pass, maybe they don't consider themselves an editor, but just like read it through and find the obvious things and the parts where they're like, I don't know what you mean here. This doesn't make sense. Exactly. Like, that's that's really all you need. You don't need someone who, I mean, we, we don't all call ourselves editors anyway, but half of us are. But yeah, no, I, I completely agree. Like, having another set of eyes. Uh, how about you, Joshua? You got anything to add to that? Um, well, in terms of, like, layout and, you know, design, uh, look at other people's work. You can learn a lot about what to do and what not to do, especially what not to do. Uh, by looking at other people's work and what they do for their own stuff. 
That is very true. And that is the first piece of advice I give to someone who is looking at publishing on the DMs Guild is find someone who did the thing that you want to do and look at how they did it. Yeah, that's... There, go ahead. There's an RPG out there called Degenesis and all of, all of its content is free online as PDFs. You only got to spend a dollar if you want to spend a dollar on like hardcover stuff. But they have all their stuff available as free PDFs and it is bar none one of the cleanest cleanest ever RPGs I have ever seen. And between PDFs and hardcovers, I think I've got about 150, 200 different RPGs to look at. And it is the cleanest laid out. But then if you want to do something messy, I'd recommend uh, Morkborg. Uh, Morkborg is messy, but it's kind of, it's got its own artistic flair. They, they, they went with a purpose there. So. Oh, I'm not saying it's bad. I'm oh, saying no. like, it's, it's, it... yeah, you first. <laughs> no, I completely agree. Like it's, it's intentional. It's like meant to be different not the standard um tidy blocks of text and like that yeah, yeah. morkborg feels like how a good metal album sounds that's a, that's actually a great analogy and yeah that's actually like going back to the you know look at other people's stuff people message me all the time they're like i think i want to start creating content how do i get published and what do i do i'm like good news publishing is easy writing something it's writing something is easy too. putting all that together and making something that looks good and that people want to buy is another thing so like people reach out to me um you know they they don't know what they're doing whatever and i'm like okay are you going to create a you know subclass a player facing content you're going to do an adventure and then you know they figure out what they're going to do and i'm like all right go on the dm's guild look at the top sellers find something that's the same thing same style that's what you feel like you want to make and if you can't buy it you just send me the link and i'm gonna buy it for you because you gotta have you gotta research market research pretty much exactly like that's yeah i get really passionate about that well not only that i mean it's it's true of anything that the more the more you're familiar with the subject, the better you are. Like, if you want to write good books, read good books. If you want to write good jazz, listen to good jazz. Same, same thing with adventures. And please read the style guide. For the love of all that is good in the world, read the 5e style guide on DMs Guild and follow it. Not, not only that, if you are writing for someone else... Like, if you are writing for the Adventures League, or you're writing a section that's going to be part of an anthology, or if you're writing uh, an encounter for a book of encounters, at that point in time, if you don't follow the style guide, you could get bounced off the project. Absolutely. Yeah, if you're brought in on a collaborative project and they don't provide you a template and a style guide, it should be the first thing you ask for. I mean... I mean, I know um, I've got a style guide and a template that Rich uh, has us specifically use for Guild Adept stuff when he's doing layout, um, because otherwise he wants to murder us. And I, I like not being murdered by Rich. So I use the style guide and the template. Another great book, if people are if you like reading about how to write, um, Writing with Style, an editor's advice for RPG writers is a product in drive-thru RPG. And it's by, I'm probably going to butcher his name, but Ray Valise. Um, 
it's writing with style is the main title. And that's a really great way for somebody that wants to dive in and kind of figure out how to round off the rough edges of their writing um, and kind of make it make a little bit more sense before it gets to the editor. Your editor will love you if you follow the advice in that guide before you pass it off. I had not heard of this before. It is really great. It's a platinum bestseller. Okay, yeah. Well, we're going we're gonna to buy two more copies right now. When prepared, yeah. let me do it. Let me send you the link. That will also, uh, Sadie's and Gentle Thumbs, uh, be in our show notes. Um, so, Laura, you mentioned a little bit that you worked on some Eberron stuff with Keith. What was that like? I mean, editing something for such an established person. And you, you worked on the Exploring Eberron book, which, honestly, it's it's a beast. It's huge. It's it's humongous. It's actually longer word for word than Rising from the Last War. Um, we fitted it into fewer pages, but it's it's enormous. Um, it was really a fun project getting to, you know, peek behind the curtain um, and see really how a setting creator takes a world from, you know, nothing to actually building it. Um, it was just really, really fun watching the great minds at work. Not that Keith's the only great world builder in the world, but he's absolutely phenomenal in the way that he pulls together all the plot threads in his mind and then produces something that really makes sense. Um, he's also one of the nicest people I know. Um, like absolutely working with Keith is amazing. Everybody, if Keith ever wants to work with you, please do it because he's awesome. Um, but no, it was really, it was really fun being able to see um, him take an idea and he would kind of have a rough draft about it and he'd write, you know, several pages worth on a topic. And then we get it into editing and we decide, you know, this isn't quite clicking right. And he'd completely redo the whole thing. And by the end, it feels like it was meant to be that way in the first place. And just seeing how, how, what am I trying to say? How transient things are until they suddenly become canon. Like, I bet I, reading Exploring Eberron, you would think, oh, he's had all of these ideas in his head for, you know, 15 years since he created Eberron. And some of them absolutely. And others were created approximately a week before the book went to layout. <laughs> um, and so it was, it was really fun just seeing the, the haphazard nature of some of it combined with the, you know, the, the passion that's flowed from 15 years of thinking on some topics versus others saying, hey, let's completely change all of this at the last minute and how much it comes together into a cohesive whole. Um, I'm really proud of what we put together. Um, it was fun. If you haven't bought Exploring Eberron, you should. It's in hardcover and PDF on the DNs Guild. And it has like 155 star reviews and no lower reviews at all. So we're shooting for like the world's greatest five star rankings ever. Dang. Um, it's pretty fun. I'm sure now that I've said this, I'm going to get that one star review. Well, it won't be me. I am still firmly convinced that Keith's ideas actually come from the hat. They do actually. The hat like pours into him and just inspires. Yeah, it's like a it's a magical item. I'm not really sure. Legendary, some sort. I think the hat is a mimic, and it's got little tendrils into Keith's brain, and that's brain how it, well, it. Well, it pilots Keith around. <laughs> this is my favorite conspiracy theory. The hat is actually Keith. There's just multiple stock puppets that he uses. Yeah, yeah. Like, you, you know, the hat could crawl over and get on somebody else's head. Like four kobolds in a trench coat, but it's, uh, I don't know, a blob and a hat. A sentient one, hat. One hat and one body a month. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Okay. Um. Yeah. Joshua, then do you want to tell us a little bit more about 
Sina Una, or you've actually got um, a TTRPG interview book as well, right? Yeah, I got that one coming and, up. And Swordsfall. <laughs> and Swordsfall. Yeah, good, good catch, Paige. <laughs> um, I mean, what do you want to hear about? Everything. No, all, fair. All of it. That's what we're here for. Um, I mean, I, I'm, I got frustrated one day while working on Sina Una. Nothing like with anybody in particular. Nothing with, like, myself. Just, like, it's exhausting making these books, right? And I made Oh, a absolutely. Joke. <clears throat> yeah. Like, even the, uh, the Theros settlement we were, were working on, like, even that had, I, I'm sure, headaches, you know? But I, I vocalized it's, my it's frustration. It's still work. I mean, yeah. it's fun work, but it's still work. Oh, yeah. But I vocalized my frustration on Twitter just, like, I'm going to get a bunch of other devs and heads and project managers and I'm going to get together with them and just talk about our frustrations. I'm going to call it, Are You Sure? I'm going to make a book called, Are You Sure? And I gave different examples about like, you know, different things that frustrate you, different things you have to go through when it comes to making these books. Like, what's the most important thing about your book? Or did you get any pushback? Uh, I, I laugh when I say that because of some of the people I have in the book. Um, and, you know, how did you find your artists? Stuff like that. And I, I said it as a joke. My frustrations were abated and I was fine. And then all a bunch of my uh, TTRPG friends who make books were like, yo, this sounds really cool. I'm in. And my first in- instinct was, hey, you've spoken with me. You know I make jokes. Don't do this to me. Uh, and then the next day I had a publisher. You can't joke about making a product. Then you have to make it. And haven't you seen what happens to Oliver? I know. I know. That would be um, Oliver Darkshire. Used to be Oliver Clegg. And anytime he made a off-the-shoulder joke about uh, gay vampires once, and then he had to write a whole book about it. I've seen it. I bought it. Yeah, but all the listeners might not know. Yeah. Some people may have missed that somehow. He's um, like a Katamari Damacy of cool projects, though. He just rolls around and out they come. Well, you can't make jokes on Twitter unless you're willing to put your money where your mouth is and go ahead and write about it. Yeah, no, I, I've learned that the, the, the hard way now. But uh, I'm interviewing like 30 different creators around the TTRPG design, design space. Uh, some mainstream, some not so mainstream. And it's, A, really insightful talking to some of them about just what they what they who they are because i found out that when you take a oh, bunch of isn't that essentially truth? nerds really passionate business nerds and you you know you have up the project and you never talk to them about them they become really eager to talk about themselves because uh, no one that i've spoken to so far has been like i i don't i don't like this project i'm not gonna be part of it uh, most people so far have been like yeah i'll be a part of this please i want to talk to people very true very true thing about rpg creators um and you know everyone involved in it we don't really know how to say no (sighs) yeah uh, sometimes you're sitting there in your head you're like i'm gonna say no i don't have time and then you hear the words coming out of your mouth i think i can do that you're like why 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 did i do this there's like a record scratch and then mentally you have to play back the tape to see if that's actually what your mouth said yeah I feel targeted with that sentence. <laughs> you know, we're really going to call on ourselves out here because yeah. 
Ginny posted something, I don't know, it was months back about my favorite part of the writing process is cleaning my apartment. And I'm like, Ginny, get out of my house! Because <laughs> I was doing the exact same thing. Uh, so tell us about Swordsfall. What are you doing with that? I'll make his character sheets. See, now that's really cool because character sheets, mm, like that, er, like there's a lot of games where like, you talk about a game, and the first thing your brain put, pulls up, the first screen, the first slide in the slide deck is the character sheet. What, what goes into designing a character sheet? Understanding that people need space to write. Understanding that people need to use different spaces more frequently than other things. Uh, and making sure people have the space they need to write the things they need to know about. Um, I actually, the way I submitted myself to be a character sheet designer was... Uh, I make character sheets for Beetle and Grimm for their Avernus box. And I applied via Twitter. And I'm, I don't want to sound like I'm trying to badmouth people, but there are a bunch of people who applied to that who made very pretty D&D character sheets. And some of them had a slot, a space to write down your magic items that was less than an inch across, less than half an inch deep, and shaped like a curved triangle. I don't want to have to get out my magnifying glass to remember what magic items I have. Yeah. And I want to have a lot of magic items. Yeah. So I, did, I made uh, Infernal War Machine sheets for them for their Avernus Platinum box. I think it's in the silver box for it, but I don't know. Um, and so I applied over, myself over to Swordswell with that, and he liked what I did because he knew that you know I would put in the time to make sure that things were done properly, which for him involves a lot of research into African symbolism. You know, I did not know that you made the Beetle and Grimm character sheets. I we used well, I mean, we used those in our game because we used the box, and I, I actually really enjoyed them. They made a really good um, first impression, right? Because that's what a character sheet is a lot of the times to new players. It's their first impression of the game. You kind of get a feel for like how much you're gonna have to know, and you know what personality you can put into your character and all that, and. Um, those were the first things our DM handed to us out of the box. And so I was like, oh, these are nice, different. I like them. They're pretty. And then um, it just got better from there, though. The, the awareness box was gorgeous. Yeah, those, so uh, pretty. those are machine sheets for my responsibility. Um, yeah, just making sure that your first priority is making sure that the sheets can be used. Uh, the sheets take into account the fact that people have, need to have priorities on different things like you reference your skills more than you reference like your ideals or flaws, you know, for D and D at least, and then making sure everything looks good. Yeah. I mean, yeah, that's, that's, that's all pretty accurate. It's not really stuff you think about though. Uh, Paige, do you want to take a few questions? Sure. Sure. So one thing that I'm always really interested in is uh can you can you, is <laughs> is this uh career of yours similar to a large pizza in that it can feed a family of four are you talking like a little caesar's five dollar pizza or are you talking like a gourmet deep dish <laughs> well i'm just i just not with actual numbers in it or anything because whatever but i is this your full-time job is it a side hustle do you want it to be your full-time job can you make can, can people make a living doing this yes you absolutely can 
Are you likely to? Uh, if you're really, really good, yes, it's possible. Um, also not something you can probably bank on saying, hey, I'm going to launch full time from in another industry straight into this. It's not likely you're going to be making a living income right away doing that. Um, for my part, I actually had just made the shift to more full-time work in February, March and put my three, I have a six-year-old and a three-year-old and the six-year-old was in school. Hallelujah. And so the three-year-old, I put him in parents day out. So I actually had like enough time in the week to actually do like a full work week worth of editing between nights and weekends and parents day out. And that was February. And then if you recall what happened in March, the entire world shut down. <laughs> And I lost all yes. of my childcare and my six-year-old came home from school and was at home. So I have ever since then been attempting to continue doing a full-time work schedule um, on top of taking care of two children. Um, so this is a very difficult time in the world to answer how much I can actually do full-time from on a long-term basis because I've been doing it alongside childcare. Um, but I had a very good two months in there that I made quite enough to feed my family with several nice pizzas. Um, but then COVID hit and you know kind of how everything went from there. Yeah, every, everything gets an asterisk by it because of COVID. Like, we, yes, yes. everybody understands that it's, that it's weird. But times. absolutely what you can do editing full-time. Um, I could very easily fill a full-time job with just editing for the DMs Guild, not even branching out into any other, you know, side projects for 5e or other systems. Um, am I going to get rich off of it? Absolutely not. Am I going to be making a living income? Yeah. I mean, if I look hour per hour at what I'm making right now, I'm it's I'm in a really good place. I just don't ever have enough hours in the day to actually buy the pizza right now. Right, right. What about what about you, Josh? Is this your full time job? Do you want it to be your full time job? Um, between graphic design and the writing that I do, uh, this is my full time gig. I've been doing full time TTRPG work since uh, I want to say April since uh, April May. Oh, wow, so you, that is great. You got right into that in the middle of the pandemic then. Oh yeah, no, I, I moved to Chicago to uh, to work at a publishing company to make some friends and like, you know, to, to actually date. And then uh, March happened. Right. Um, I made some friends, um, left the job I was working at, and uh, I'm not going to date because I prefer my lungs. I mean, like, I can't even imagine what it's like to be someone who wants to date in this lifetime. Like, I just, I don't, like, I, I can't imagine how much that bites. I am so sympathetic. I've had some friends tell stories of their Zoom dates trying to socially distance while <laughs> dating new people, and it's it makes me glad I'm out of that game. Yeah. yeah. I've, I've replaced, uh, you know, doing Zoom dates, going out with dating with just, like, putting letter Kenny on repeats and doing layouts. <laughs> that is a, a perfectly acceptable substitute for a while. Yeah. Like I'm, I'm happy. It's actually a really good time in the world to be stuck at home doing layout and stuff like that, because everybody's trying to work remotely anyway. Um, if I didn't have kids, I would be over the moon with, Hey, I have all of this time to just dedicate to this and I don't have to go outside anymore. I can wear pajamas all day. Um, the, the kids complicate things. Yeah. 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 I'm still uh, in my pajamas. 
Yep, guilty as charged. The only reason I'm not in my pajamas is because I had to go run errands earlier today. Otherwise, <laughs> I'd be there. Yeah, um, my, my quote-unquote family right now is just me and my dog. And the hunger pangs I get at 2 in the morning. So oh. I, I can afford a pizza for that. Oh, what kind of dog? All puppies are great. I got a Shiba Inu named Saki. Aww. Do you share your pizza? Uh, the the crust, if I make sure to bite off all like the sauce bits, because he's getting older. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's 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 a good point. Uh, I'm I'm sure the the Shiba Una, uh, is a little bit of you know comfort and camaraderie there in the times when you're staring at stuff, going, "Why did they send me this like this?" Because I know so, I get like that. And and that that's a good point. Why do they send me stuff like this? How do y'all find new work? Like how, like, I mean, some of it is an accidental thing you fall into, but I, I, I am sure there have been times out there where you're like, well, I'm bored. I need, I need something to do. And then how do you, how do you find that new work? Or if you've never been bored and, and haven't had to hustle up your new work, what would be your advice for someone who might be wanting to get into this and will need to hustle up new work? Uh, Laura, you want to go first on that? Mm, I I am not bored at the moment. <laughs> like I mentioned, I never have enough time. Um, so I spend most of my time actually saying no very nicely to people that I would love to work with. And I just frankly can't right now. Um, but if I were actually trying to seek out work and had time to do it, um, really connecting with people, the, the biggest tool for me in connecting with other creators has been the Discord server that has a lot of unofficial, it's an unofficial DMs built group of creators. Um, and so that's been a really helpful community for me to connect. Um, the uh, Twitter in general is also a great place just to, you know, keep an eye on if people are putting out calls for work or even just make a post saying, hey, I'm available for X, Y, and Z post a link to your portfolio, a couple of the things that you're most proud of, and most likely it'll get retweeted and you'll start having people reach out to you and say, hey, I want to work with you. Um, Because there's always more people looking for editors and layout. So you'd say there's kind of a shortage of editing and layout in the TTRPG space? There are a lot of people that do it. Um, I would say that there's a wide range of skills and experience there, which is absolutely not to throw shade on anyone that's learning. I mean, we all started somewhere and we're, you know, no matter how inexperienced an editor or layout designers, they can still bring something to the table that you wouldn't be able to do on your own. Um, and a really great way for new designers that are just publishing their first adventure is to actually pair up with an editor that's trying to just start, you know, build a portfolio, um, because both of you guys can work together and you can grow together in that. Um, but there is, a, there's always more demand for people that really know the style guide, understand the Chicago manual style, um, know in design backwards and forwards and understand, you know, what layout really is and what goes into making a book beyond just putting words on the page. So there's absolutely not a shortage of people that can do it and do a good job. It's just a matter of kind of the final level of polish that you're wanting to put on it. Huh, interesting. Interesting. Joshua, what uh, what do you think? Most of the time that I've gotten some of the things I'm working on right now with like uh, Metal Leaf Games or Swordsfall or Hitpoint Press, um, one's going to cough. Okay. Um, 
I got approached, which is really gratifying. But for a while, I did have to like hustle myself and myself out there to try and find work. Um, I will say that uh, when you first start out, it's going to be very rough because people can't like, unless you have a full body of work already established beforehand in another industry, uh, people are going to be very hesitant to work with you because um, TWGs, it's, a, it's still a very small community despite the fact that it's a growing industry. Um, so I guess you, if you do want to try and make it in this industry, um, you have to make sure that you bring really good work and you have to make sure that you are someone people actually want to be around. I think that last part is especially important. It doesn't matter how great of an editor or a layout artist you are if you're an absolute pain in the ass to work with. And I, I think that's actually like one of the things I love about both of you so much is that you're just, you're so approachable and you're down to earth and you're so willing to share what you know. Like you're not hoarding it like a little dragon on its pile of treasure. It's really... That's really kind of you. Thank you for saying that. <laughs> yeah, thank you. I'm going to blush now. All right, everyone, just picture it. She's blushing real pretty. <laughs> this so... is why we are doing audio only. <laughs> yes, yes. The only reason. That and because Ginny and Paige wanted to stay in their pajamas. That's, no, that's I haven't brushed my hair. <laughs> I've given up. Like, I, I stream on Monday nights for Feats and Fables, which is our home campaign. And, uh, you know, I just, I, it, people only see the top three inches of my shirt <laughs> and it's, they have no idea it's pajamas. So I it's play fine. one live D&D game, not like live streams, but like live on Zoom with the other real people I'm talking to. One of those a week and that one day a week I put on makeup and other than that, you know, all bets are off. Oh, I've started streaming. I, I do put on my, <laughs> go ahead, Jen. I've started streaming lately too and like I'm, I'm doing Magic Arena mostly but I'm going to start doing some D&D content and I will say like I, I, I do feel obligated to get out of my pajamas and it's like uh, I don't know it feels like work then I mean I guess it is kind of because I do make money from it but it does make it feel a bit more like work actually getting dressed but I don't know I don't think actually people would For mind sure. I don't know I haven't tried that you should totally do it in your pajamas next time. I, I think then at least they won't accuse me so of being clickbait. <laughs> <laughs> so speaking of the money behind it all, uh, I am not asking you for your prices or for financial information, but in general, in the industry, what does layout and copy editing cost? How are contracts put together uh what do jobs sort of look like from a financial standpoint it coming from a perspective is like hey i'm an author i have a ten thousand word adventure and it needs layout and it needs copy editing how much money should i budget for that or how much percentage uh uh sales do you want to get what a can of worms that is josh you want to go i know first? i know oh absolutely <laughs> not by all means please you want me to go uh, first oh. that's a, that's it that's a fun one so part of it depends on if you're talking dm's guild or if you're talking wider industry part of it depends on if you're talking tabletop rpg industry versus editing literally anything else in the entire world Editing literally anything else in the entire world will pay better than editing for tabletop RPGs. And editing for pretty much any other tabletop RPG will probably pay better than DM skill. 
that disclaimer being said. Um, but why, why, is, why is that the way things are? Part of it is because most of the creators on DMs Guild are paying for everything out of their own pocket and they don't have, you know, they, they, they don't have a, a company with funds to pour from. They're actually pulling from like their daily income and spending money on things. So if you are in general, especially for people that are trying to get started editing, um, doing tabletop RPG stuff, um, you're very likely to be asked to work for a royalty share. On DMs Guild, 50% um, of the royalties go to OBS and Wizards of the Coast. Wizards of the Coast gets 20% of the royalties. OBS gets 30% as the platform you're selling on. And then the other 50% are left to be split between everybody. Um, so if you are editing, you're likely to get somewhere around 10% of the what's left. So 10% to you, 50% to everyone else, 40% left for the author and anyone else they hire. Now... 10% can mean that you're going to make 10 bucks off of it, or you could make thousands of dollars off of it, depending on how well it sells. Um, but that's really the easiest way to get in and work alongside people that also don't know how much they're able to pay for an editor because they have no idea if it's going to sell well. Um, once you start working with more established creators that actually have the funds and the confidence their products will sell well to pay out of pocket, I would say average editing rate for hobbyist editors is probably two to three cents a word. Now, is that copy edit or developmental? Copy editing. Um, there, I actually and, don't know and very- do explain to our listeners the difference between copy and developmental oh, editing. Good question. Um, so proofreading is fixing typos, fixing grammar issues, fixing typos, fixing commas, stuff like that. Um, copy editing is generally considered taking the language as it's written and making it flow better. Um, you're doing more than just fixing typos, but you're actually finessing the language. You're rewording things. You're maybe rearranging things within a paragraph, but you're not really touching the overarching structure of it. Um, developmental editing is generally considered to be anything beyond rearranging things within a paragraph. So if you're changing the story or you're saying, wow, this entire section, these mechanics don't make sense or anything like that, whenever you start really doing more than just language only edits is kind of when I consider it to delve into developmental editing. Um, Jenny, do you kind of have the same feel on that? I know you do a lot of developmental work. Yeah, I, I would say actually that was a, a pretty good summary. Like it, anything where you're kind of a bit more involved and invested in it like ah this section's really kind of weak we need it we need it to have more you know oomph because this is supposed to be the climax uh why don't you add something like this you know where you're making suggestions as to what should go in the story how the story should kind of flow and like what's impactful like yeah that's that's developmental editing and anything beyond that um this flows weird let's change it around Exactly. So the copy editing is what I'm basically talking about language only without you restructuring things. And so that if you're a hobbyist editor, you're probably going to get two to three cents a word. There's really not a lot of demand for that for people that are editing but don't have a strong body of work in their portfolio to really stand behind and say, you know, I'm a professional editor. It's worth hiring me for more. If you're doing copy editing on a more professional full-time basis, that can come anywhere between four to 10 cents a word. Typically, you're not likely to get more than 10 cents a word. In fact, most people in the DMs Guild will just laugh at you if you say that and they'll go hire somebody else with less experience. Um, that being said, you, it's possible to get upwards of 
that. It's just not very common. Um, I had a thought and my thought just disappeared. I don't know what my thought was. But anyway, yeah, I would say if you're looking specifically in the DMs Guild and you don't have a lot of experience, you're probably not going to make it above three cents a word. But outside of the DMs Guild industry, if you're making less than 10 cents a word, you're probably undercharging. So it's a it's a wide range. <laughs> That's why I laugh about this can of worms. And And definitely, like, you can get offers to be paid very little, but don't undervalue yourself. Like that's that was a that was a hard one for me to learn, and like the ten percent you mentioned, like I've definitely taken less than a ten percent royalty split, but it's been on projects where I'm working with like established creators where I know like, you know that seven percent. You know it's gonna pay. Seven seven yeah. percent's gonna get me a heck of a lot of money. Like I get that exactly. I, I get that there's a lot of creators on here, so I understand you don't want to give me a full ten percent because there's only so much of the pie to go around. But knowing that seven percent is gonna be approximately so many dollars probably more but you know you got to kind of gauge like what you're willing to value your time at yeah and i've worked on some bigger projects for less than 10 percent um and been very happy with the result um but it's really just a matter of how much how much time do i have in the day and where do i want to spend that time um and that's really learning just learning to say no to things so that i can say yes to something else somebody might have a really great job for me that only pays let's say three, four cents a word editing. And I might want to turn them down because I could get more on another job elsewhere. But sometimes I'll go ahead and take it because that's a fun, that's fun work that I really want to do. And I'm in, in this less for the money. I'm not eating gourmet deep dish pizzas. Um, so yeah, it's just, it's, if you're a creator and you want to pitch an editor for a job and you're like, oh, I can't pay five cents a word or I can't pay 10, 10 cents a word, it's okay to ask. And you can either offer them royalties and they might say no, or you can offer them a lower word rate and they might say no, but they also might think your project sounds really, really awesome and be willing to jump in. Um, and I know things are similar on the layout side for Joshua. <laughs> yeah, so uh, yeah, Joshua, do you want to talk a little bit about uh average if, if that's a thing rates people can expect oh my god um i know it's it's a a this is a giant can of worms yeah no yeah, I think, no i we don't ask the easy questions here yeah it's also a matter of like I, i'm an eyeball to ask that question too because uh most of my work is done with like actual companies um things people, people that i've done the most graphic design work for have been uh not to like not to sound like I'm trying to brag, but I'm just trying to be honest here. Um, Beetle and Grimm, Swordsfall, Hitpoint Press, uh, Metal Weave Games. And so they've been able to just pay me outside of uh, royalty shares. So my expectations when it comes to doing royalty shares or working with people in the DMs Guild has always been very laissez-faire. I'm just like, yeah, whatever you can manage, you know, just because most of the time it's very light work for me. And it's not worth it for me or my time to try and haggle for uh, what would be a better or fairer rate for someone else who doesn't have my other line of work. And if you're taking on a project, I know generally in, in my case, for instance, it's like something I want to do anyway. Yeah. So, I mean, I, I've got one that I took recently. It's a friend. They're trying to launch a Kickstarter. It's their first go at it. And so, like, I've gone lower than I normally do, but... I'm really excited about this project. Mm -hmm. And, and um, I mean, I, I, I so, think... So, Joshua, if I was coming to you with um, 
a 10,000 page adventure for the DMs Guild. And I'm like, Wait, hey, oh, I, that's a lot of pages. 10, pages? Word. I think you mean words. Oh, 10,000 10, words. Yes, not 10,000. I was about to say, I was sorry, about to just sorry. like grit my teeth hard enough to spit blood. What? He's going to need a full year's salary yeah, no, sorry, for 10,000 pages. <laughs> yes, yes, that should be $70,000. Uh, but if I'm coming to you with a 10,000 word DM's Guild adventure, so a, a, a modestly short one, uh, what what should I budget for layout? Oh my god. I mean, and obviously I can get, you know, uh, Michelangelo to do layout, or I can get Lenny, who works down at the deli, to do my layout, and they will be very different quality levels. But if you could sort of normalize some expectations. Sure. Um... First off, you have to consider just how much art you have and how many times you chapter break in your in your you know supplement your adventure. Because um, while you may have so many words, typically speaking, nowadays adventures and books aren't just blocks of text. It does get interrupted by you know sidebars and images. Um, try and figure out a rough page count from how many words you've written, and work with your layout artist to figure out what is a fair rate for them for that number of pages. For me, if I'm working with someone who like, isn't major publication and isn't just, you know, uh, making a small thing on DMs Guild, I'll just flippantly say 10 bucks a page. Um, for 10,000 words, I, I'm guessing around like 18, 19, 20 pages max. So I, I would flippantly say 10 bucks a page, 180 bucks, call it good. And that's purely because I can be very easy going with what I'm doing. Um, and I typically don't go for royalty shares. If you are trying to hire a layout designer that does work for royalty shares, typically they'll take about the same 10% the editors do. 10% is just kind of the default cut of, yeah, sure, let's just make it 10. Um, but the challenge is going to be finding a layout designer that does work for royalties. Yeah. And, and you know, stuff like that, obviously... Um, you get involved on projects with more collaborators, more well-known people. You get more into where uh, people are more willing to accept royalties because it's less uncertainty about the future of the project. Now, of course, as, as we all probably know, you can put your heart and soul into a project and everyone's worked really hard and we think it's going to be a top seller and it flops. <laughs> and, you know, that's always disappointing, which is why, you know, it's always a as someone behind the scenes, it's always a hard choice, in, in, in my opinion, as to whether to do that flat rate upfront guaranteed to get this much, or do you gamble on the possibility of making more? And, you know, uh, royalties does have that sustained tail. Uh, I know, Paige, you've got some royalty things that you're still getting money on from when did the DMs Guild launch? Uh... Yes, I, we still get a regular paycheck for the Black Road every month. I don't know how or why. Because Bethesda <laughs> plagiarized it. We all know. I mean, <laughs> that certainly didn't hurt. <laughs> One thing I enjoy about royalties is the feeling of working alongside someone. Um, especially when, when you're an editor, you really feel a sense of investment in a project. That's your baby as much as... You know, as much as it's the writers, you you still feel like this is part, this is my baby too, and its success hinges upon me doing my job well and making this the best it can be. And so, there's something really satisfying about being able to work for royalties, even when sometimes it doesn't pay off all the way, um, just because you know that I'm really as invested in the success of this project as anyone else, and I like that feeling. 
I like the baby analogies because, like, you know, the writer, they make the baby and it's naked. And then the editor. It's like when you're a nanny, yeah. you get hired to nanny a child. They're not your baby. And yet. <laughs> and yet they are. Yeah. It's, you know, they make the baby. It's a naked baby. You got to, you got to get it some nice clothes and you got to teach it some stuff. And then you all, it's, it's a village. It takes a village. It, it does take a village to raise an adventure. So what advice would y'all have for one of our starry-eyed listeners? Let's call her Michelle. What advice would you have for Michelle uh, about wanting to get into this gig? Oh, gosh. I feel like we've covered all of it. Not, not that we've given all wisdom in the world to everybody already, um, but we've really touched on so many big things. For me, it really, once again, goes back to collaboration and be, be the teammate that you want to work with, you know, be not that you have to be positive and happy go lucky all the time, but be there to be constructive and to build your team members up and to build the community up and be the kind of person that people want to work with. And that's going to, that's going to get you farther than any kind of technical skill. Not that technical skill doesn't matter, but being a decent human being is really important. (laughs) And read, read the hardcovers, actually sit down, whether you're wanting to do writing or editing or layout or anyone or anything, sit down in front of the recent hardcovers and look at how they did it and understand why they did it and why things are formatted that way and written that way and really just absorb it until you start having dreams in the middle of the night of random passages in a book and you can see its image in your head. Okay, don't do it. But really be familiar with with what's gone before and the body of work that you're there to emulate. Not that everyone should stick with official Wizards of the Coast 5th edition style, but it's, you have to know the rules to break them. And you have to know where you're coming from if you really want to produce a product that's going to feel familiar and comfortable and yet innovative to the people that are buying it. Well said, well said. Uh, Joshua, do you have any advice for Michelle? Sure. Um, whatever you're doing... <clears throat> Make sure the people who are working with you are excited for the work you produce. Absolutely. Um, like, no one really wants to hire along their friend who, like, says they're an artist and they do commissions, but they don't really do professional-level work. Uh, not that, like, there's some level of art you have to mimic to you know make art, but, like, don't be a pity hire, I suppose. Make sure that when you come to someone with your work, Make sure it's good work. So bring your A game. Yeah. yeah, I think that's good. Um, so one other thing that I, you know, how I kind of noticed both of you, other than just hearing your name everywhere, is that you both have a pretty active Twitter presence. Would you say that it's important in the RPG community these days to have a big presence on Twitter or other social media platforms? Is that, like, um, important for getting started, getting work? I would be a liar if I said no, because Twitter is how I found Searsword and Twitter is how I found Beetle and Grimms. I feel like Twitter for me personally and social media in general is most useful for marketing, um, which is another ball of wax on its own. Being able to write an RPG product is much different than being able to sell one and market it. And that's an entirely different skill set. Speaking of which, I know the RPG Writer Workshop has a course that you can do at your own pace on marketing. I haven't taken it, but 
Ashley is great and the workshop is great. And so if anyone really hates marketing, that may be a good place to look. They have that workshop. Um, but for me, Twitter is most useful just because of the massive reach I can get building hype over products. You know, I can release a couple pages. Um, we, we released archetypes of Eberron back when, gosh, was it January, February? And it was a book of 31 subclasses that were built around Eberron. And it's this enormous book. And the biggest, most effective way we had of marketing it was sticking a subclass up at a time on Twitter and letting people retweet it because they saw the subclass and they thought it was cool. And we got so many sales that way. It was amazing. Um, so really being able to, if you want to write and publish or edit or layout or whatever, building up a social media presence before you're actually ready to dive in and publish is really helpful just because that's where you're going to get a lot of sales from. You can post on Reddit, you can post on Facebook, you can post on Twitter. I've probably gotten, I'd say two thirds of my social media sales probably come from Twitter. Not that I have good analytics on any of the platforms, so I'm just making this number up. Um, but I have found it really useful for marketing. Um, the networking, it really just depends on how you're connecting to people. Um, it's a good way to meet new people. I've definitely met some. I feel like, Jenny, did you and I actually meet on Twitter? Uh, we did. Hashtag Team Owlbear. Yes, we were the Owlbear. Yes, I remember that. We bonded. Um, so yeah, there's definitely, you know, some, some really good connections you can make there. But I think that if if I had to say there's one most useful reason to use social media, I would say being able to sell your products to a wide audience is the number one reason to sign up for Twitter. Number two is getting to meet really cool people like Jenny. And I, I you know, you keep saying marketing and as, as if like marketing the products that you finish isn't really just marketing yourself and advertising, hey, hire me. Look at Absolutely. I mean, like I said earlier, I don't, I don't go looking for jobs because people are just constantly trying to hire me. But the reason that that happens is because I advertise my products. So. So you did also mention a discord server that was DMs Guild folks. How did you fall into that? I don't remember. <laughs> um, I joined, I joined the Eberron discord server. It's just, it's a group of Eberron fans that's on discord and we have probably just several thousand people by this point, I don't remember. Um, but I made my way somehow from there to another Discord community that had DM skilled creators. And I actually have no memory of who invited me or how I ended up there, but it happened. I think so, that it's on their Facebook group, the DM skilled fan page maybe, or? Actually, yeah, I think you're right. At once upon a time, there was a Facebook group now, right now, there's an official DM Skilled Facebook group that's actually managed by the DM Skilled people. Yep. But there used to be another group that was primarily just creators, and it was an unofficial thing. Um, and I think I, I think it may have actually been from there that I jumped over. I'm gonna see if but I that can. Facebook group is no longer active. Yeah, I'm gonna see if I can um, find the link to the Discord and add it to our show notes as well. I can hook you. I can hook you up with that if I need to. Ah, I found it already. <laughs> there you go be sure it's still a live one i think at one point we disabled old invites i was on the admin team there for about a year before i got too busy and had to step away for well the aforementioned lack of child care um so double check that the invite link works okay. but. uh yeah well um you know we're pretty much out of time um so before we get to the telling everyone your social medias uh, is there anything else that either of you want to add any closing thoughts you're all awesome. Oh, <laughs> well, gee, golly, gosh, thanks. <laughs> uh, Joshua, anything from you? 
I really miss conventions. I have a lot of friends in the TTRPG space that I met on Twitter and saw in real life once, and I miss them. Oh my god. I have never been to a convention, and this year is like the first year I might have possibly been motivated to do it, and then the virus hit. <laughs> this is this is such a big mood. Oh god, I want to go. I miss it. Oh, I love it. I miss everybody. I miss all of you. I just want to hug you. Know that. All of you. Uh, but yeah, no, uh, you know, We'll get some socially distanced hangouts in sometime. Um, I tell you what, that's why another reason why I love this podcast is because I get to talk to people that I might have met at convention, except we don't really to convention anymore. All righty. Well, if that's all we've got, then that is going to be it for this episode of the Roundtable. Joshua, why don't you tell everyone where they can find you online and find your amazing stuff? Well, you can find me on Twitter under HTTPaladin. I also have an Instagram that I never use, but I just kind of have it there. Um, and you can find Sina Una on the Deck of Many's website and my TTRPG interview book on Kickstarter, hopefully later this month. All right. And Laura, how about yourself? Um, I'm Laura Hersbrunner. I am on Twitter at Laura underscore H-I-R-S-B because my last name is far too long for anyone to reasonably spell. Um, and on Twitter, I have a link to my um, portfolio that has links to the things I've worked on. So if you want to buy Exploring Eberron or Archetypes of Eberron or Eberronicon or things that have nothing to do with Eberron at all, I actually have those too. Um, just or the, click on the link in my Twitter. Yeah, or the word template, yeah. All right, Paige. Or the word template, yeah. Where can everyone find you? All right. You can find me on Twitter at Paige Lightman, that's spelled L-E-I-T-M-A-N, or you can find my husband and I, because we're a writing team, at benandpagewrite.com. You can find me on Twitter at Jenny Loveday, that's G-I-N-N-Y-L-O-V-E-D-A-Y. You can find me on Facebook and Instagram under the same thing. Uh, you can find me on Twitch now at that same thing as well. And you can also find me on my website, which is, you guessed it, JennyLoveDay.com. You can find the Roundtable on Twitter at D, the letter N, D, Roundtable, on Facebook under the same thing. And you can always shoot us an email to dndroundtable at gmail.com. We'd love to hear from you if you have any ideas for the show, any feedback, any thoughts, any complaints, any one-star reviews you want to hand to us in private. <laughs> no, the people handing out one-star reviews never want to do it in private. I know, I know, I know. Outside of that, please like us on Facebook, leave a review on Facebook, iTunes, wherever you find your podcasts. We appreciate your support and feedback. And that's it for this episode of The Roundtable. Until next time. Bye, y'all. All right, yeah. <laughs>